Dialogic Disciple is an invitation to explore discipleship in dialogue with the world as disciples of the Word. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Dialogic Disciple podcast. My name is James Johnson and I'm here with... Nick Houston. Nick Houston. Nick, how are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good. We, uh... We uh, have a special treat for the people today. We, uh, you know, last month you and I decided that we were going to do a spiritual discipline of reading scripture together, and our special treat is we failed. <laughs> yeah, that didn't go like we hoped. <laughs> we probably picked the wrong time of year to try to jump to into try something to start like that. Something, yeah. So I thought what we would do is uh, try to pick that back up in February. Um, Sounds like a plan. But uh, in, as a way of penance. Uh, as a way of of you know recognizing that scripture is important to the to the community and obviously to us as uh, disciples, I thought what we could do today is something a little little fun, something fun, something uh, a little different, and talk about some stories out of scripture that uh, kind of make you go, what <laughs> what is that about? Uh, you and I both grew up in traditions that where scripture is very important, and we, yeah. you and I, have probably an above-average uh, biblical literacy in the sense of we we know the Bible fairly well, um, and yet there are still those stories that are like I don't I don't remember I don't that. remember that, and also I don't know what that means, and I just yeah. hope they never show up in a Bible study somewhere and where I, I have do, to break them down. Yeah, why why did that go in there? Yeah. Why did that make it into the Bible? What was the Holy Spirit trying to do with that inspiration, right? So we uh, we've we kind of looked through the Bible and picked out some some of our uh, favorites, some of some stories that we have not really looked at before, not in any kind of serious or in depth way, and um, we're gonna go through a list of those today. Um, you have I don't know. Do you have any intro thoughts about what we're doing here? About any. You know and why I, is this fun or valuable? I think that I've, I think that this set is um, this is an exercise for conversation, not for answers. Yeah, right. Like, right. It's just things that things that we find that strike us as odd and why, and it's just maybe more for your trivial pursuit knowledge than anything else. Yeah, yeah. And it's, yeah, I think there's also some value in recognizing that. Um, Man, you could study scripture your entire life and walk away and not have any idea uh, what certain passages mean or where they fit and what's going on exactly. Um, and just to just to recognize that um, how rich, I guess, I, I guess is the word I want to look for. There's so much there. And there's so much there. So today we're going to start with uh, a classic and one that I think probably most people are familiar with by now, but one I think to ease us into this conversation from Genesis chapter 9. Uh, and this is a story uh, about Noah, the great Noah, as famed from Noah and the Ark. Uh, Who delivered the people from Egypt. We are. <laughs> That's right. No. Oh, wait a minute. <laughs> My bad. <laughs> maybe uh, maybe your biblical literature isn't as good as I it's thought. A common, <laughs> it's a common mistake. That's right. Moses and the ark. Uh, no, so Noah and the well, that's another one that people do sometimes. <laughs> uh, so, no, Noah Noah of, of Noah and the ark fame. Uh, in Genesis chapter 9, we have the um, 
you know, the ark situation's already come to a close. And God has saved Noah and his family with the ark, and they've, they're coming off the ark, and, and God is making a covenant with, um, with the people uh, of, of Noah and his family. And then we get this story. The first thing that Noah does uh, as he comes off, off the boat is decide to plant a vineyard. The first thing he wants to do is to make some wine. Uh, and so we get this story. This is in Genesis chapter 9, uh, and this is what it says. Genesis chapter 9, we'll start with verse 18. Noah's sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, came out of the ark, and now Ham was Canaan's father. This was, this, these were Noah's three sons, and from them the whole earth was populated. Noah, a farmer, made a new start and planted a vineyard. He drank some of the wine, became drunk, and took off his clothes in his tent. Ham, Canaan's father, saw his father naked and told his two brothers who were outside. Shem and Japheth took a robe, threw it over their shoulders, walked backward, and covered their naked father without looking at him because they turned away. And when Noah woke up, from his wine, he discovered that what his youngest had done, and he said, Cursed be Canaan, the lowest servant. He will, he will be for his brothers. He also said, Bless the Lord, the God of Shem. Canaan will be his servant. And may God give space to Japheth. He will live in Shem's tents, and Canaan will be his servant. After the flood, Noah lived 350 years, and in all, Noah lived 950 years, and then he died. All right, so this is the first story of somebody getting hammered in the Bible, uh, and it's one of the big ones, one of the big characters, particularly early on, Noah. What is this story about? So I feel like it's there to explain, you know, how the world developed after the flood. Okay. But the... I, I mean... He was naked in his own tent. What's wrong with that? Yeah, right. Well, I think the problem is, I don't think there's anything, I don't know if there's something that's necessarily wrong with what Noah's done here. Right? I think it's Shem that gets the curse here. Shem's the one who gets the, he gets the uh, the brunt of Noah's uh, anger. So we could assume that this, the two older brothers, or the two other brothers, I should say, Ham and Japheth, uh, acted appropriately. But Shem went in, saw his father passed out naked and went out and told his brothers like maybe he was making fun of him or maybe, maybe he was just so. spreading the disgrace uh, you know if there was some disgrace involved with just getting hammered and passed out in the tent i mean it's not your best look <laughs> it's not it's not right it's not your best it's look. not your best look uh this is like i don't know you you went to georgia i'm sure that you, you saw a bunch <laughs> of people passed out in tents there right Nope, we didn't see any of that at the Baptist Student Union. <laughs> um, so I, I wonder if also, so I wonder if also what's going on here maybe is, is this the first wine ever made? Is this the first alcoholic beverage? Maybe maybe Noah doesn't know what wine does? Oh, no, 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 no. no, no. You think, no I think got some they discovered this shortly after being kicked out of Eden as a way to cope. I, <laughs> okay, all right. I, I feel like... I, I, yeah, because I, he already knew, you know, to plant a vineyard, yeah, to yeah, harvest the grapes. Yeah. To, or He had a one-track mind coming off the boat, right? What's the one thing he hadn't had while he was on the boat for forever and ever? And I ever. just have a feeling however much he brought it wasn't enough. <laughs> okay. 
Um, I will say, I think you're right in a sense of uh, one thing I noticed as I was reading this uh, this time around, and maybe I noticed this before but forgot, uh, is that Sham's son is Canaan. And Canaan mm-hmm. is going to be the land that the Israelites are given later on. And the Israelites descend from Ham, I believe, Ham, Ham or Japheth, or maybe both. But if you think about Shem, then is the, uh, the descendants of Shem are the people who inhabit Canaan. And the Israelites are going to come in and take Canaan's land. That's, that's what this curse is all about here. I think, I think you've got the names. Do I have them mixed up? Yeah. I think is it so. Ham? Ham is the father of Canaan. Okay. So, no. So, Shem, Shem is then. Okay. Shem and Japheth right. were the good ones. You're right. You're right. So, Shem is the, Shem is the father, uh, will be the father of where Abraham comes from. Okay. So Ham, you're right. And I, you know, in the back of my head, I was like, I know it's the curse of Ham. Why do I keep saying Shem? But anyway, so Ham, Ham is, is the, is the one who, uh, through his son, Canaan will be the, the father of all the peoples who live in the land of Canaan. All and those the people. The Canaanites who, were the ones that the Israelites were ordered to murder all of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, murder is a strong word, but to forcibly remove uh, from this life. <laughs> um, so th- I think it, you were talking about how this might uh, lay the groundwork for how the world develops after this, uh, and maybe maybe that's uh, it. All goes back to this one, this one moment where. And you know, it it makes me think too about like what are the things the patriarchs seem to have some kind of like power and authority like when they say things are going to be a way yeah then god makes it be that way yeah and i do wonder like if there's more to the story we don't know or if noah just got real real mad yeah and said this is what i'm doing because i'm angry about this and so here's how you're gonna right suffer the consequences right and like in retrospect like was that you know, a bit much. I, you know, that's interesting that you say that because you're right. Like when the when the patriarchs, particularly in these first eleven chapters, and then into Abraham, when they drop a curse or a blessing, mm-hmm. it comes to pass. Now you wonder a bunch of that from a historical perspective is probably um, trying to understand why the world is the way it is, and so you know they have these stories that help them to make sense of why was it okay for us to come into Canaan and to take uh, all these people out? Well, let me tell you the story about Ham mm-hmm. and uh, you know his boy Canaan. Uh, he done messed up. <laughs> so you got to be careful, man, uh, particularly in the time of the patriarchs. That's absolutely true. I, mean, I feel like it does speak to, to God's faithfulness to the patriarchs as they're faithful to him. Right. Um. And you got to think if you're telling these stories to your children or if you're telling them in the community, all that does is to reaffirm and, and re, uh, reify the, the uh, faithfulness that God has to the community, right? I know. I need my kids to believe that if I say it, God's going to make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> Just be careful what you drink in the tent, Nick. I'm saying, like, that was like one bad night. <laughs> Maybe he's not a very good vintner. Yeah. Is that the word for it? Maybe he just made some bad, some made bad, some bad wine. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know.
another story. So the next story we're going to look at is one that I find particularly interesting uh, and have no idea what it means at all. Uh, and we were talking about it a little bit before we got on, got on the air today, got on the mics. But um, in Exodus chapter 4, we have a story where uh, Moses uh, in chapter 3 of Exodus has just received the name of God. He's been called by God from the burning bush. He is, he's received the name Yahweh, you know, and Mo that's something that not even Abraham, you know, he says, you know, not even Abraham got to know God's real name. And now, um, and now Moses has the name of God and he's been commissioned to go and to free the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. And on his way back, uh, in chapter four, four, as he is on his way back, uh, this is what it says. So this is chapter four, and I'm going to start with uh, I'm going to start with verse verse 19. Chapter four, verse 19. The Lord said to Moses in Midian, "Go back to Egypt, because everyone there who wanted to kill you has died." And so Moses took his wife and his children, put them on a donkey, and went back to the land of Egypt. Moses also carried the shepherd's rod from God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, make sure that you appear before Pharaoh and do all the amazing acts that I've given you the power to do, but I'll make him stubborn so that he won't let the people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my oldest son. I said to you, let my son go uh, so he could worship me, but you refuse to let him go. And as a result, now I'm going to kill your oldest son. Verse 24, during their journey, as they camped overnight, the Lord met Moses and tried to kill him. But Zipporah took a sharpened flint stone and cut off her son's foreskin. Then she touched Moses' feet with it, and she said, You are my bridegroom because of bloodshed. And so the Lord let him alone. At that time, she announced a bridegroom because of blood, uh, bloodshed by circumcision. And then story continues as though this event never happened. Uh, this is a, a passage that... Uh, baffles me that on the way on the way to Egypt from Midian the Lord met Moses and tried to kill him now Nick you uh grew up going to Sunday school what did your Sunday school teacher teach you about this passage yeah I'm gonna say we definitely skipped this part because I don't I don't think I remember it at all and it seems so weird what is going on here? What could possibly be going on here? I, I feel like we're missing a few parts of a story here. Yeah, yeah. I can tell you that most, because uh, <laughs> I've looked at some scholarship on this, uh, and it seems out of place, number one. kind of seems like it's a story that got put in here or as part of the tradition that, that some fragment got, got uh, left out or... Some part of the story seems to be missing. So are we... We are at a place where Abraham's already had the covenant of circumcision. Yeah, yeah. So circumcision's already a practice in the with the people, or should be, because that happens all the way back in uh, Genesis with Abraham and Isaac. How old would the son have been? Here? Like Moses in this story, son, when it yeah. says Zipporah took a sharp-edged flint stone and cut off her son's foreskin? Well, let's okay. see. He was in Median uh, for a while. Like He was there for like 40 years. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it tells us what the age... 
I mean, I just t- tried to take a splinter out of one of my kids the other day, and you'd have thought <laughs> I was trying to cut off a foreskin. So I don't know what that would actually look like. <laughs> Let's see. Her, her, Zephora, Zephora is Moses' wife, uh, as you highlighted earlier when we were talking. And uh, she gives birth to a son named Gershom way back in chapter 2. And then it says, a long time passed, and the Egyptian king died, and the Israelites were still groaning because of their hard work. So, I don't see an age, but it, it he's not like a new kid. It's not a newborn. Not a newborn. Uh, this is somebody who is, uh, yeah. Yikes. <laughs> well, that makes it weirder. This whole thing is so weird. Um... There's something in my head that I feel it's got to do with obedience. Okay. And the fact that the son was not circumcised. Because he should have been by now. Right. Was a problem. And that may be because Zipporah and uh, that whole crew, not Israelite probably. So maybe Moses didn't take his traditions of, the, of his people. Remember, Moses grew up with Pharaoh's daughter in the palace. Maybe Moses yeah. doesn't know the traditions. Maybe. I mean, that seems But unlikely. I always got the sense about um, Moses' in-laws that they were God-believing people for sure. Right. 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 Were, I mean, but were they Israelite? I don't think they were. I don't think they were Israelite, but I think Jethro was a priest of God. Midianite priest who had seven daughters. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's the deal, is that it was something that was supposed to be done, and maybe, like you said, Moses wasn't practicing it. Isn't this a, it's kind of a weird time to bring it up, though, isn't it? In the sense of, like, he's already been, he already had children. Already had uh, the wife, the children. God has given, given him the holy name. God has given him these signs, these powerful signs that he's going to perform in front of the Pharaoh. Feels like if it was such a problem, it'd be something he could have brought up in the whole burning bush incident. Right? He could have, yeah, right? Also, what does it even mean that the Lord met him on the way? Like, Yeah, the Lord he, met Moses and tried just, to kill him. Is he just like standing out in the middle of the road? Like, You know, that's a good point. Like, <laughs> is it another like angel or the Lord like yeah, it doesn't really clarify, in though, a, does it? Phys- is, in a, is this a real material, solid way or a figurative way? You know, it also is funny to me that God tried to kill him. Yeah, it didn't succeed. Right. When like, has God ever tried to do anything? Yeah. I wonder if there's not something going on here that's, um, I mean, obviously, there's something going on here that we don't understand from a cultural perspective. Right. I mean, right. Could yeah. this be metaphorical in some sense or could this be, um, you know, does it mean that Moses got sick or, you know, just the fact that maybe this is a way of explaining, like maybe Moses got really sick on the way back to Egypt. And so it to to the people who witnessed this, they thought God's trying to kill him. Mm-hmm. And maybe then Zipporah does her thing and saves and uh, in, in her mind, at least saves Moses's life. Because it seems to me very odd that God would try to kill the one that he has just commissioned to go back and free the people of Israel from slavery. Yeah, but this is the same God that asked 
Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. It's true. So here we go, and this is something else that Terrence says. Uh, it is important to note that God tries to kill. This softens the divine action. What does it mean to say that God only seeks and does not make a direct hit? The means that God uses is not stated, but God leaves room for meditation. I'm sorry, for, for mediation. Allows time for Zipporah to act, even implicitly invites it. It is therefore not to be understood that Zipporah thwarts a single-minded divine inter- intervention uh, intention for death. Rather, she moves into the temporal spacing, spaces allowed by God's seeking. The divine move is thus a threat, not an attempt to kill, that God fails to pull off. Ah, uh, so uh, it is God making you deal with some stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's a there's a space between when God begins to move and God actually completing the act that allows space for humanity to move about in. I like that. That is interesting. I like that. I like that a lot. Thanks, Dr. Frytham. Look at that. Frytham? Frytham? I don't know how to say his name. Um, yeah, so there we go. We, we broke that one down pretty quick. That's mm. That's got to be the most difficult of all of them as far as just pure random, like, just what wild. does this mean? Yeah. Passage. Um, We talked about Noah. We talked about Moses. Those are two big names in the history of the Bible. These are random stories that don't seem to have a clear, or at least on the surface, meaning. I want to jump now to the story of a guy that maybe is less well-known as far as in the pantheon of heroes, and that is a guy named Balaam. And we've probably, maybe people have heard about Balaam and his donkey, uh, and this is a weird story that happens in Numbers chapter 22. Thank you for that, because I did not know where to even begin to look. You're just flipping through until you see the word Balaam. <laughs> like, scanning. <laughs> so where are we in the world of Israel in Numbers so chapter 22? So we are right? in the wilderness, right? We are in the okay. we're in the 40 years of wandering in the wilderness All right. uh, in in Numbers. So the the... The Israelites are coming into contact with other people out in the wilderness, and, and God is giving them the power to, you know, giving them the strength to overcome all of these obstacles that they encounter. Um, but there is a guy named Balak, uh, who is uh, one of the Moabites, I believe, who is opposed to the Israelites and opposed to Moses. And so he's going to send Balaam, uh, who is a priest, I believe, or a messenger of Balak, uh, to to uh, talk to the Israelites, or to curse the Israelites, I should say. Um, so, if we take a look at Balaam the Moabite, uh, and starting with verse 22, maybe? Chapter 22, verse 22? Chapter 22, verse 22, is what it says. It says, then God became angry because he went, then he being Balaam here. So while he was riding on his donkey, accompanied by his two servants, the Lord's messenger stood in the road as his adversary. The donkey saw the Lord's messenger standing in the road with his sword drawn in hand. And so the donkey turned from the road and went to the field. Balaam struck the donkey in order to turn him back onto the road. And then the Lord's messenger stood in the narrow path between vineyards and with a stone wall on each side. 
And when the donkey saw the Lord's messenger, it leaned against the wall and squeezed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he continued to beat it. And the Lord's messenger persisted and crossed over and stood in a narrow place where it wasn't possible to turn either to the right or to the left. And the donkey saw the Lord's messenger lay down underneath Balaam. And Balaam became angry and beat the donkey with the rod. And then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth, and it said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have beaten me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you've tormented me. If I had a sword in my hand, I'd kill you now. And the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey, on whom you've often ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? And Balaam replied, No. And then the Lord uncovered Balaam's eyes, and Balaam saw the Lord's messenger standing in the road with his sword drawn in his hand. And then he bowed low and worshipped. The Lord's messenger said to him, Why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I've come out here as an adversary because you took the road recklessly in front of me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me these three times. If it hadn't turned away from me, I would just now have killed you and let it live. And Balaam said to the Lord's messenger, I've sinned because I didn't know that you were standing against me in the road. Now if you think it's wrong, I'll go back. And the Lord's messenger said to Balaam, Go with the men, but don't say anything. Say only what I uh, say only what I tell you to say. And so Balaam went off with Balak's officials. So we have just found a part of the Bible I've never read before. <laughs> You've heard the story before, though, I, right? No, I don't think I. I haven't. Okay, all right. I haven't. Well, this all is right. all new. First impressions. This is what do you fresh. think? What do you think of the story? Um, it's why I don't. I don't I didn't realize we had talking animals in the Bible. We do. We got the, at least Balaam's this one. Balaam's donkey. Balaam's donkey. Um, I want to know what the Lord's messenger looks like. Yeah. Like, I'm really curious. Yeah. Are we talking just a dude who happens to be the Lord's messenger, like just a regular person, or are we talking wings and the whole get yeah. up? Yeah, I think we get the image of like a Gabriel or a Michael, like with big right. wings and a sword. Yeah, well, the sword. Yeah, I'm looking for seraphim. Like, yeah, yeah, but that it get, particularly says Lord's messenger here. I wonder. Um, we're thinking some kind of uh, angelic being, probably mm-hmm. right. But it doesn't. It doesn't really specify. This is one of those things we were talking about. Uh, Jacob wrestling God uh, before as yeah. one of the stories that we might talk about today. And um, what does that look like? I mean. What does it look like for God to appear in in a human form, other than of course Jesus Christ? Right. But like in the Old Testament, you got these messengers who show up. You know, um, well, the same thing—the visitors to Abraham. Yeah, yeah, the Abraham. three of them, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, we don't know. I mean, it doesn't. You know, the word uh, doesn't really tell us much about what this character looked like. We do know that he could hold a sword in his hand. I mean, it feels like the source of some you know people have a sense that their animals might see things or be aware of things that we aren't yeah um like dogs barking yeah you know at night at a corner of the house or something and you start this idea of like does the dog see a ghost well here the donkey sees the messenger and the person doesn't yeah what did you think that that's um that's interesting so does that mean that donkeys or maybe just animals in general have access to a spiritual realm that we don't i don't know the donkeys were i mean this this particular donkey this is particular pretty donkey, perceptive yeah, yeah. this is like uh you're you talking about before the donkey from shrek uh yeah <laughs> you think he sound like eddie murphy <laughs> might have why are you beating me how about a, how about a parfait 
<laughs> um. All right, so what are we supposed to take from this? This weird story about animals talking. For me, this is classic. Like, you think you know what you're doing, but you don't have all the information. Yeah, yeah. And being... If you're as smart as you think you are, you'll listen to people around you. Yeah, even if it's a donkey. Even if it's a donkey. Even if even if you got a donkey talking in your midst, right? right? And like, and and two, the fact that the donkey says, "Well, have I done this to you before?" Right, right. Like, so you think I just got a wild hair and now I'm gonna do yeah what I feel like? Yeah. I've always done what you wanted me to, but this time there's a problem. So recognize that you you need to be observant of your surroundings. Yeah. You need a man. Yeah, there's something about trust there, I guess. Yeah. If things, if if something's happening that hasn't always happened, maybe that should be a red flag. Maybe this is mm-hmm. a a good scripture for talking about red flags. I think. Um, I do wonder. I think I'd feel differently if it was a horse instead of a donkey. Why so? Oh no, horses just seem smarter. Right. You think you wouldn't have a problem with whatever the horse did? He'd be like, okay. Horses well. seem a little more revered <laughs> that's probably true that's certainly true donkeys although you know jesus rode on a donkey too yeah yeah but why again why didn't the messenger just appear to where balaam could see it why did it only appear so that the donkey could yeah see it? and what was the end goal here for the messenger did he come with a message to deliver to Balaam, and if he was going to do that, then why wouldn't he appear? Like you said, is was he going to deliver the message to the donkey? I mean, he says he's just going to kill the. He was kill just going to kill him. Is that like if that's you get the close message? enough? I mean, I ain't walking over there to kill you, <laughs> but when you get here, I will kill you then. That's another one of those things. Like there's this. Uh, it, I mean, it's not unlike the story we just read in Exodus. Right. God is this is, more space to move? Yeah. More. Yeah. More space for. Um, for humanity to catch up with what's going on. I do wonder about things in life that shape like your personality and the way you handle problems and how you deal with stuff moving on. And I got to say, I bet he just lets the donkey do what it feels like after this. (laughs) (laughs) That donkey's got free reign. I mean, because I mean, (laughs) Balaam was never on time for a meeting ever again. Because the donkey was like, I'm doing, you know, me. (laughs) So the scriptures here says also that the Lord loosened the donkey's lips so that the donkey could speak. Does this imply that the donkey was thinking these things? Like the donkey was making a sentient, like conscious choice Mm -hmm. here, right? So can we take from this that scripture is saying that, that animals have an awareness of not just not just of of ghosts or, or or angels or whatever but that they have that they're thinking things that they are that there's I think some... we see that pretty well but then the communication I mean and I guess this donkey speaks Hebrew that's impressive <laughs> I think <laughs> like I wonder in the garden of eden did all the animals talk yeah so I, I can't think off the top of my head of another occasion where an animal in scripture well the serpent that would be a good one the serpent that would be a good one to look at other yeah and compare it you know 
I feel mm. like Mama would have said, if an animal starts talking to you, it's the devil. <laughs> right. So, <laughs> with this talking donkey situation, well, that, that kind of throws a wrench. That only applies to serpents. I mean, it definitely applies to serpents. Yeah, if a serpent's talking to you, it's the devil. Probably don't do not do what the serpent tells you to do. All of his ideas are bad. <laughs> and I wonder if the donkey loses the ability to speak after, after this. After this, or if it keeps it. Right? Yeah. Then you have the adventures of Balaam and his donkey. <gasps> We've just come up with a new children's series. It's going to be rated sure. R, but. <laughs> no, we'll be on Disney Plus. It will not Maybe be. on YouTube. Maybe we can get on Netflix. Uh, that's hilarious. Um, well, anyway, ba- Balaam ends up blessing the Israelites rather than cursing the Israelites. So that's good. Uh, sidebar. So my kids and I kind of have this running joke because, you know, there's things that Disney at least now it's been reported Disney won't allow a few things in movies um, yeah. that are the, the ones that are for kids, you know? Right. Um, so there's no smoking. Right. There's no impaling. Gosh. And Is there that right? Something no else. Impaling? Yeah. Yeah. There was some other thing, but like, you know, Ursula gets impaled in little mermaid. Yeah. And they had like smoking in their older movies where, so do they make smoked. exceptions of that or do they block it out? Um, <laughs> well, so <laughs> now they will come with a warning. Oh, right. Yeah, so like that. you pile. And so at the top, it says like they're smoking in this. Yeah, yeah. And so we'll sit down and watch a movie as a family. And the kids are like, I don't know, Dad. They're smoking. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> so don't know. sometimes Kate and I are watching a movie they can't watch. And we'll say, nope, there's lots of smoking. <laughs> Too much smoking. <laughs> Too much smoking. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah, they are pretty strict about that stuff. You know, they have a bunch of rules, too, for all the actors that are in the Oh, all of their yeah, I'm the sure. stuff they can't I mean, be can caught doing or whatever. Yeah, particularly with like the Marvel right. uh, characters. Yeah. yeah, Disney looking out for your moral well-being since mm-hmm. 1932. I'll say, I have yes, yeah, since Snow White came out. Uh, we have one more story from the Old Testament that I want to take a look at, one that is my personal favorite and one that uh, I, uh, I used quite a bit when I worked in student ministries. And it's in 2 Kings chapter 2. And it's a story of a guy named Elisha. And Elisha was the protege of Elijah, who is famous for the Mount Carmel scene, you know, and famous for a bunch of other things, different reasons. Elijah is like the greatest prophet in the history of Israel. The Mount Carmel thing was calling fire from heaven That's to right. burn up the offering. That's right, yeah. And so he had a protege named Elisha who uh, takes on the mantle of of Elijah after Elijah's taken up in heaven with chariots of fire. Like literally and figuratively. Yes, yes, absolutely. Literally and figuratively. So Elisha is making the rounds as a prophet and kind of following the same story and the same path that Elijah does. And so this is right after Elisha succeeds Elijah as, um, as the voice of God or the prophet of God in Israel. And uh, starting with verse 22. So this is Second cha- Kings chapter 2, verse 23. This is what it says. Elisha... Elisha went up from there to Bethel, and as he was going up the road, some young people came out of the city, and they mocked him. They said, get going, baldy. Get going, you bald head, baldy. (laughs) And turning around, Elisha looked at them and cursed them in the Lord's name. And then two she-bears came down out of the woods and mangled 42 of the youths, of the teenagers. And from there, Elisha went on to Mount Carmel and then back to Samaria. 
<laughs> and that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> that's all I have to say. Now, uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, the people who are writing these scrolls down for the first time, or however they're writing it. Uh, they they were like, we got to put the, the she bear story in there, right? The the Hebrew here here says she bear, so two female bears come down from from the mountain or wherever they come from out of the woods, and they maul these 42 teenagers because they're making fun of Elisha, apparently because he's bald. Uh, I, I used to love this story when I was in student ministries just because I would be like, <laughs> look, if you kids don't pay attention, I'm going to curse you. She bears mm -hmm. is going to happen. She bears. Uh, what do you make of this story? You know, Dad always said not to make fun of his bald head because <laughs> of this. Did he ever send you a sin of curse upon you or your, um, your brothers? No, he didn't. He didn't, but he just said, look, this is serious. Don't mess around with bald people. Is, um, the, is this a question of just respect and authority? Respecting the men of God, the, the prophet of God? I mean, what? I think there's an element of that, but I got to, I mean, did they know who he was? Like, do you think that these teenagers knew who they were making fun of? And there was an element of, oh, I'm going to show you who I am since you clearly don't know who I am. Right. By having a bunch of kids, by the way, 42 of them get mauled. That's so a lot. So that's a how many lot of there? kids are just coming out and making fun of. The scene here is hilarious. Okay, so what I imagine in this situation is, like, I don't know about, oh, well, you didn't have that experience. So that won't translate. But what, what? when I was in high school and the after school, the kids would congregate at the Texaco gas station down the street. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then... Um, I just see a bunch of teenagers hanging out at like a gas station or something, and this guy walks by, and they're like, "Hey, yeah." And that's course, a totally believable scene. That's completely anachronistic, but but that 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 makes sense though, right? As he's leaving the town, uh, as he's going up the road, you can kind of see like a bunch of kids just hanging out, uh, doing their thing, whatever. And then you do stupid stuff when you're in groups. Oh man, like you do way dumber stuff that's in groups true. than you would ever do by yourself. That's absolutely true, especially when you're a teenager. <laughs> Yeah. Right? Oh, I mean, yeah. yeah. I mean, I do dumber stuff in groups as an adult, too, but, <laughs> but definitely we, as a teenager. The, I, so, <laughs> I don't know what this story is, is intended to convey. Like, I don't know, like, if you're reading this, <laughs> if you're reading this scroll, I mean, what if, so, for instance, in Luke chapter 4, after Jesus gets baptized and he comes home from being in the wilderness, he goes up and he reads the scroll, he stands up and it's, it just happens to be the day uh, in the lectionary where they read Isaiah chapter 60, you know, rise and shine, or not, 61, the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, right? What if this had been it? What if this had been the lectionary text for the day and Jesus had read this? What would he have said? Surely he wouldn't have said, this is fulfilled in your hearing. What would he have said after this? <laughs> of course, we know from all the pictures See, around you. here. <laughs> we know from all the pictures around here that Jesus had long flowing locks of blonde hair, so... He didn't have the baldy problem. No. But, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. This is one of those passages, again, that I have no idea what it means. I mean, I do think it's a disrespect issue. I, I mean, ultimately, I think that's what it has to be. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but also, does mangled mean dead? No, I don't think so. I think the implication is that... that that they, so didn't they kill were badly him. roughed him up a little bit. Him up a little bit. I mean, tough mangle doesn't sound that great, but I mean, it doesn't sound like death, right? That finger will eventually be usable again. <laughs> That's kind of what I'm imagining. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, this one I do remember from Sunday school. 
Okay. And I think that the point then was, yeah. you know, yeah. you need to don't be rude. <laughs> Pay attention. All right. So in the New Testament, there are a couple stories that I think uh, uh, might be interesting to take a look at. Um, there's a lot of stuff in the New Testament when we get towards the back, towards Revelation and stuff that we could spend. We could spend years trying to untangle and understand but one story in particular that i want to look at is a story of jesus casting out a demon mark uh, chapter five oh yeah you want me to read it yeah hey so why don't you take a turn how about that okay jesus and his disciples came to the other side of the lake to the region of the garrisons as soon as jesus got out of the boat a man possessed by an evil spirit came out of the tombs this man lived among the tombs, and no one was ever strong enough to restrain him, even with a chain. He had been secured many times with leg irons and chains, but he broke the chains and smashed the leg irons. No one was tough enough to control him. Night and day in the tombs in the hills, he would howl and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from far away, he ran and knelt before him, shouting, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. He said this because Jesus had already commanded him, Unclean spirit, come out of the man. Jesus asked him, What is your name? He responded, Legion is my name because we are many. They pleaded with Jesus not to send them out of that region. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the hillside. Send us into the pigs, they begged. Let us go into the pigs. Jesus gave them permission, so the unclean spirits left the man and went into the pigs. Then the herd of about 2,000 pigs rushed down the cliff into the lake and drowned. I think this, uh, this, the Mark version of the story gives us a, a little bit more to uh, imagine as well, because we're talking about mm-hmm. one man who is who has a great deal of strength, right? He is making a bunch of noise, a bunch of commotion, cutting himself, howling at the moon at yes. night or whatever. It's a wild man. This is a crazy man, and yeah. he's he's blocking he's blocking the path. People can't people can't get by, or uh, nobody can restrain this guy. What does the uh, what does this image look like to you? What's being painted here? Mental illness. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's got to come. That's got to come to he, head. This, this one, I think, because um, this is a story from Sunday school. Yeah. Um, you know what I think of anytime when that that conversation between Jesus and the possessed man. Yeah. I always think that that guy probably sounded like the Borg. Oh really? Well, because like, like we are many. Oh. And yeah. so like. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like all the voices saying the same thing. I don't oh, know. Oh wow, That'd it'd be, be the cool. same effect as yeah. um, it'd be the same effect as liturgy during church. You know, everybody saying the same thing at the same time. Yeah, that sound, except for not as sinister, maybe. Oh yeah, this I, definitely has a evil. I, it does, right? This reminds me of more than anything like of The Exorcist. Uh, when I think of when I think of demon possession, I think of the movie The Exorcist. But then I also think of this. I think of this story, mm-hmm. and so these two things kind of go head and hand hand in hand in my head. Uh, I do find it interesting here that that a couple of different things like the these demons recognize Jesus from far away. They know who Jesus That's is. That's one of my favorite parts of the story. Okay, like they know, and they know exactly who he is. Not only do they know his earthly name of Jesus or whatever, they know that he's the Son of God, and he is the Son of the Most High. And they know that he has power over him. And exactly, yeah. and they beg for mercy, which you don't, uh, you know, think about this guy and, and demons in general, like. You don't see them begging for mercy. You don't see them begging for anything. They torment and torture and whatever. But when they see Jesus come from far away, they do this. And they do this in response to Jesus already having said 
unclean spirit come out of the man. So Jesus says, unclean spirit come out of the man. And then they respond, what do you have to do with me, son of man, or son of God, son of the most high? Swear to God that you won't torture me. Mm-hmm. So there's almost like a negotiation going on here. That sounds like it's 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 crazy powerful stuff. This yeah. is the kind of thing that I read and it kind of gives me chills. Like Yeah, yeah. Particularly if we believe, and as I am starting to believe more and more, that there are unseen spiritual forces that are actively at work in our world. Uh, and I, I've never seen anything like this, but I've heard stories, you know, and um, this guy, this demon legend, uh, Legion is his name because we are many, he says. You know, it does have like a Borg. Mm-hmm. Exactly. A Borg, yeah. A Borg. So that, yeah, I like that. that. Makes me I like think that like, a lot. I am the cutest of Borg. <laughs> we should try to <laughs> lower your shields and surrender your ships. <laughs> Resistance is futile. Um, <laughs> I do that to Flynn at bedtime. <laughs> I say resistance is futile. So Jesus is also walking through the region of, uh, uh, he's walking, he's walking through a, um, a Gentile region. This is, this is Jesus getting out to the Gentiles uh, in a sense. So a bunch of these people, you know, particularly, I mean, they're, they're tending pigs. You know, no, no uh, Jewish person would ever be caught doing that. And Jesus sends these these demons into the pigs, and the pigs rush down the hill. Here, the number is very large. What, 2,000? Yeah. I heard of about 2,000. Um, completely wipes out the poor farmer's uh, <laughs> livelihood, uh-huh. probably for a little while. Less bacon in the region of Gethsemane than there was the day before. <laughs> you know what? It makes me think about the movie The Incredibles. Yeah. where the superheroes kind of get banned because of all their yeah the damage that they're yeah. doing you know yeah, and yeah. i'm kind of like at this time the people are like jesus we can't afford to have yeah. you here i mean what you're doing is great but uh we can't handle the collateral also what do you think they do with the pigs do you think they, they pigs drown uh do you think they go out and try to recover any of that okay more important <laughs> question if the spirits could leave the man and go into the pigs that doesn't necessarily mean the spirits were killed when the pigs died does it that's a great question. I, I've heard other people ask that question before, and I don't know what the answer is. Well, like, and so at least now this guy who was demon possessed is now clear he's, thinking, he's and clear he's thinking. able to say, yeah. like, "No, Jesus is the real deal." Yeah, I like so verse eighteen uh, is a little follow up. Verse eighteen says, uh, "While he was climbing into the boat, Jesus was climbing into the boat. The one who had been demon possessed pleaded with Jesus to let him come along uh, as one of his disciples, but Jesus would not allow it." He said, go home to your own people and tell the Lord, tell them what the Lord has done for you and how he has shown you mercy. This guy's like, dude, I want to go with you. So that's interesting. Jesus didn't want him because he wasn't Jewish. I, I get the sense that it just wasn't time. But also, this guy's going to be the sole representative of Jesus in this town, mm-hmm. you know, in this area. And what's funny is that, um, or what's I think appropriate is, is we come back to the Gentile areas later on. And mm-hmm. people have heard about Jesus. So whatever this guy does from here on out, he does tell it must, people. Must work. It must work. So th- there's a strategy. There's a larger strategy. I got to say, that's a heck of a testimony. Yeah. You know, I was demon possessed, <laughs> cutting myself in graveyards. But then I found Jesus. He <laughs> met like, me on the road. And we've had that conversation, right? Like, that's the story I want, man. <laughs> I was demon possessed. <laughs> and now I'm free. Uh, maybe we maybe more of us have that story than we wonder how many revivals he did. Yeah, in the garrisons. There needs to be a. See, there's our Netflix show right there. <laughs> it opens with this amazing, 
uh, you know, this amazing miracle. And then it just, instead of going with Jesus the way that any other show would, yeah. it just hangs out with this guy. He there gets back. Go. Like, people who had the pigs hate him or whatever. And, right. Like, he has to make amends or whatever. Mm-hmm. He's got a lot of ground to, you know. Yeah. I, I I'm mean, sorry I was I mean, demon-possessed. Yeah, people couldn't sleep and stuff, you know. Like, how did he get demon-possessed in the first place? So many demons, bro. Man. That could be a good show. That could be a real good show. We, do you know how many show ideas we've come up with in the process of conversation over we the last... Need, we need to... We need to like, what, five, six, seven years? How we long? need to do this, yeah. All right, well, uh, that's that's a good New Testament one. The, the only other one that I really uh, had thought about looking at was the one where Jesus curses the fig tree. Which is a, just a kind of a random, uh, random story that sticks out. It's in Matthew twenty-one, um, and obviously Jesus is doing this. I think this is after he's entered into Jerusalem on the final week, so it's after um, Palm Sunday, and he's. I think he's just given a uh, a little bit of a, a uh, what's it called? You know, he's teaching a lesson, and he's using this this object object lesson that's what it's called anyway uh verse matthew chapter 21 verse 18 early in the morning as jesus was returning to the city he was hungry and he saw a fig tree along the road but when he came to it he found nothing except leaves and then he said to it you'll never bear fruit again and the fig tree dried up at once when the disciples saw it they were amazed how did the fig tree dry up so fast and jesus responded i assure you that if you have faith and no and don't doubt you will you will not only do what was done to the fig you will not only do what was done to the fig tree you will even say to mountains be lifted up and thrown into the lake and it will happen if you have faith you will receive whatever you pray for so he's teaching a lesson but i think it's kind of it's just funny to me that jesus is clearly hungry he wants a fig from the fig tree and when he gets there and there's not a fig to be had he curses the entire tree and it dies well that seems awfully short-sighted it does, right? Maybe be patient. I mean, was the it even fig the tree season could for have figs? produced figs. Was it even the season for but figs? But also, you're Jesus. Why not just, like, miracle up some figs? Right? And also, he, he uses this as a uh, he uses this as an example to say, look, whatever you ask for, it will be given to you. And he asked for a fig, let's say, from the fig tree, and it wasn't given to him. Or he asked for the fig tree to be dried up, and it was dried up. That seems like a weird object lesson for what we naturally think of faith as being something positive, right? So could, when we ask for something in faith, we're asking for why something Why do something positive. harmful with it? Why do something harmful? And in fact, he even talks about moving mountains. Like, why would you want to move an actual mountain? <laughs> I mean, at the end of the day. But... It'd be a great party trick. Does that... Jesus says to them, you'll be able to drive fig trees up. And not only that, you'll be able to do other things, like move mountains and stuff. But why would you want to... Like, you think you'd be more in if he'd have said you could fly? Yeah, yeah, yeah I would be. I would be. No, I just—it seems weird to me that you would do something so kind of violent and and not well. I wouldn't say violent, but something that seems overreactionary to an inconvenience. I, again, it's an object lesson. We shouldn't think too much into well, but it. But also, it is interesting that it happens immediately. So many of the curses, because we've already talked about a few other curses, and yeah. they took like a long time yeah, to play out. Sometimes, yeah. But this one, yeah, 
and the fig tree dries up. And there's another version of this uh, where he curses it, and then they come back the next day, and it's dried up. So there's even yeah. different versions of this um, playing out. But it's just one of those stories that, on the surface, if you're just kind of reading through, you know, you're like, why did this happen? What is going on here? What does this even mean? Well, so I think so much of what makes the story feel weird is what we think of when we think of Jesus. Yeah. And so if I'm going by the painting that was in the boardroom for a long time, um, well, that is just blonde Jesus knocking on the door. Right. But I feel like there's another one that I see a lot where it's, you know, blonde Jesus, blue eyes, holding lambs, you know, visiting with kids. Like it's, it's gentle Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And this feels like a short tempered, really human Jesus. Yeah. Not so much the divine. I'm just going to shepherd you and take care of you. Everything's going to be fine. Right. But more of this the, is hangry. I'm like, he's hungry. He gets angry at the tree. Yeah. This is temple cleansing Jesus. This yeah. is, which is funny because I think that's a story that happens right around the same time. I think it happens. It was just a tough week. It was just, hey, a, a lot of stress, man. I mean, this is the last week of his life. He knows it's the last week of his life. He's got a big event coming up <laughs> on Friday. So maybe uh, maybe it's just stress. Maybe it's just, yeah, just stressed I, out. I don't know. And he's like, and he, this happens, and he's like, oh, I got to I gotta turn this into a lesson. So You too will be able to do this. <laughs> We're getting real, real into life of Brian territory here. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Uh, well, any other any other stories you can think of? Uh, anything else that uh, comes to mind as you thinking about just passages in the Bible that make you take it, do a double take? The we talked about it this Sunday. Um, Jacob wrestling the, with yeah, God. Yeah, Jacob wrestling God. But as we talked through um, Balaam and him, yeah, trying to be killed like. Or Moses, God tried to kill him. Um, Balaam's got a guy waiting there to kill him. And people having that space to move, that's where I, I, I see that Jacob story going, where God, like, why is God wrestling Jacob? Right. Or why is an angel wrestling Jacob? Or why is Whatever's pre-incarnate Christ wrestling Jacob? Yeah, I, I, you know. whoever it is, yeah. Right. No, that's, um, that's a great point. Um, I think it does fit within that, that rubric of... This kind of space, right? The space that moves, the, the between God moving and God finishing, between God starting something and God ending something, or there that God provides a space for us to respond and act. Uh, that you that might be the whole that might have you could define history <laughs> like that, right? Yeah. God has started this thing. God will finish this thing, but He's provided all this space in between mm-hmm. for mercy and grace, for growth for discipline, for punishment, for uh, human response, human relationship, I guess you might say. And so God wrestling Jacob was about forcing Jacob to change something. Yeah. Forcing Jacob to respond to something. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's where he gets his name, Israel. Right. Which becomes a pretty good indicator, a pretty good moniker of, uh, of the people that he's going to father, people who wrestle with God. Mm-hmm. people who wrestle with man and God um, that's all history right there wrestling with God that seems like what we do a lot of I know I do Northside Church wrestles with God we Christians in general wrestle with God that's good I like that that's a good takeaway from our little jaunt through scripture today um, 
that was a fun one. I like taking a look at those stories. You know, some of those I haven't looked at in a long time. I'm telling you, that Balaam's donkey thing, I all can't new. Believe, I, you've had to have heard I, that story I, I at some point. I don't know. I didn't spend a lot of time in numbers. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. I, I will say it is my least favorite book, <laughs> if you're allowed to say that. <laughs> Only because I hate math, and it's called numbers. I mean, cool. Um, well, anything else? Anything else we uh, want to talk about or anything? Any messages for the people, Nick, before we finish up today? No. No. Well, guys, thank you so much for joining us. This has been a great uh, conversation about the Bible. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. See you.